Well, good morning. Welcome back. Glad you came back. I would really like it if my tablet would turn on. Oh, that was good. I just had a minor heart attack for a second here. My notes didn't turn on. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I'm glad you're back, as I said. Uh, I know when we talk about things like love and loving like Christ and those things that it's hard because we think we're doing good in some areas and we realize, you know, there's other areas that we're not doing so well and we, it takes a lot of effort to do these things. So um, I, I know it's challenging and that's what it's like when we read our Bible and we try to live out the Christian faith. We never get to this point in our life, or at least I haven't, where it just is natural. It's just easy. And just every day I get up and I'm, you know, it's okay. It's easy to live for Christ today because, um, well, one, I'm a sinner, and two, I live with sinners. So uh, it, it makes it a little more challenging, doesn't it, when we live in the world that we live in. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Every member of the church, every part of the body of Christ is important. Even those who don't feel important are important. Those who don't think they're important are important. Even those who aren't treated as if they're important are important. Every Christian is necessary to the body of Christ, and all of us have a particular role that God intends for us to fulfill within the body. There are no superfluous Christians. There's no believers in Christ, no true believers, no true Christians that are marginal, that are disposable, that are unnecessary. The Holy Spirit has equipped each and every one of us to fulfill a specific role within God's church. So much so that if we don't do it, it doesn't get done. The Holy Spirit has gifted us. And like gears and cogs and springs in a machine that all work together to make the machine work, that's what the church is like. We all have our role to play, and when we work together, the machine functions appropriately. And if we don't do our role, then the machine doesn't function as well as it should. The positions that we have within the body of Christ are not random. God specifically chose us and specifically gifted each and every one of us for a specific role within the body of Christ. There's a lot of confusion among Christians when it comes to spiritual gifts not because the scripture is unclear, and, and, but because of the unfamiliarity with what the scripture actually says or bad interpretation of what the scripture actually says. Paul spoke of spiritual gifts in three of his books. He spoke about it in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Obviously, 1 Corinthians is the most extensive section about spiritual gifts. Now, you're, right now you're sitting there maybe thinking, I thought this was a conference about love. Why are we talking about spiritual gifts? Hang in there with me. I didn't lose my... Hang in there with me. We're going to do a flyover of 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to merely touch on the main issues there, the main topics there, the main points. And we're going to look at the source and the purpose of spiritual gifts and the variety and the distribution of spiritual gifts and the unity and the diversity of spiritual gifts. And then we're going to land the plane in chapter 13. So we'll start with the source and the purpose of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Your Bible may say, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand about spiritual gifts and their importance in Christian service. The corporate use of spiritual gifts is, are necessary for the church to be healthy, and the individual use of spiritual gifts are essential for our relationship to Christ. When the Christian does not, or intentionally chooses not to use their spiritual gifts, they impede the optimal function of the body of Christ. It's like if part of your physical body decides to shut down, and some of you have experienced that, and maybe you have a loved one that's experienced that. If part of your body stops functioning, depending on what that part is, it could kill you. Uh, it certainly hinders you, and other parts of the body have to compensate. Um, if your eyes stop working, then other senses have to do more work, and your ears have to do more work, and your toes do more work. Uh, I find that out in the middle of the night when I'm in a room that I'm not familiar with, and I have to use the restroom, and I my eyes aren't working so well. My toes have to do the work. I prefer to use my eyes than my toes to, in the middle of the night. If your muscles stop functioning properly, you understand how it hinders the mobility of your body. So the proper functioning of the body is important to a healthy quality life physically, but it's true in this church as well. When the church is healthy and functioning properly, then it's it's accomplishes more and it's uh, easier to get things done. For that reason, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware or uninformed or ignorant. I don't want you to be... The word uninformed there is, is uh, agnao or agnaeo. It's where we get our word agnostic. An agnostic is somebody who says, I don't know if I believe in a God or not. I'm uncertain about the existence of God. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be uncertain when it comes to spiritual gifts. I don't want you to wonder about spiritual gifts and whether or not you have them and what you should do with them. I want you to understand about spiritual gifts. They're important. It's, in fact, it's too important for us to be ignorant about. There's some things I'm fine being ignorant about. I'm fine being ignorant about any Justin Bieber song. So that, that doesn't bother me at all. I don't even lose any sleep over it. But there's other things that are, not, that are more important that we, don't, we should not be ignorant about. Many Christians are intrigued when it comes to spiritual gifts. They, they want to know how to determine their giftedness. Probably, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've heard of things like spiritual gift tests. Maybe you've even taken spiritual gift tests. I don't recommend them because there's just too many variables in spiritual gifts and the mix of those spiritual gifts that there's no test that could accurately tell you what your spiritual gifts are. And the problem that my experience when people have taken spiritual gifts, then they pigeonhole themselves and say, I can only do this one thing because the spiritual gifts 
test told me that this is what I should do. And, and I only have the gift of hospitality, so I only bring things for fellowships. That's all I do, and that's not God's intent. The important thing for us to understand is what are spiritual gifts and how are they to be used? How are we to use them? If you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have one or more spiritual gift. There's no ungifted Christians. We need to understand that we have those. The Holy Spirit has given us those gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts were never given for our individual edification. That may happen in the use of our spiritual gifts. I will confess that I am edified often in the use of my spiritual gifts. My spiritual gifts are preaching and teaching and leading and those things that have to do with church leadership. And as a consequence, people are, will congratulate me or, or tell me that, that something that was done was meaningful, and that does edify me. But that's not the intent of the spiritual gift. The intent of the spiritual gift is not for my edification, but for the body's edification. And that's true of every single one of us, regardless of what our spiritual gifts are. He goes on in verses 2 and 3 and says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Like most Christians at the time, the Corinthian Christians were saved out of paganism. And if you've ever been to ancient Corinth there in Greece, it's a beautiful location overlooking the uh, Aegean Sea, and it's built on the uh, hillside. But right above, right behind ancient Corinth is this massive monolith, a uh, little uh, mountain. That, uh, and on top of that is a temple to Aphrodite. And every night... In Corinth, a thousand temple prostitutes would make their way down from the temple of Aphrodite and, and enter the city, and the men in the city would participate with the temple prostitutes. And Paul says, is talking about being saved out of that, that pagan world. We may not have experienced those things. You may not have experienced those things before your salvation, but you were saved out of paganism nonetheless. You were worshiping something other than God, which means we were pagans. And, and Paul is explaining that uh, a believer will not curse God, and only a true believer can confess Jesus as Lord. And he goes on to explain the source of the spiritual gifts then, starting in verse 4. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit... There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. Notice, first of all, that Paul uses all three members of the Trinity when it comes to spiritual gifts. Verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. That's a reference to Christ. And verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God. That's a reference to God the Father who works all things and all persons. So all members of the Trinity are involved in the gifting that we have. So we think about that for a moment. If you have a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts, all three members of the Trinity were involved in the giftingness, the giftedness that you have. That seems pretty significant. There are varieties of gifts. There are, there's a list of gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's also a list in Romans chapter 12 and another list in 
Ephesians chapter 4, and there are some mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 4. None of the lists are identical, and none of the lists are exhaustive, which means there are, are gifts that, that may be outside of the lists that we have, and we don't necessarily know exactly what they are. We want to be careful. I, I met a man one day who uh, told me that he knew what I was thinking because he had the gift of discernment. I went, that's very convenient. We need to go hang out by the lottery people. So if you know what people are thinking. Uh, he was wrong, by the way, in what he thought I was thinking. Um, uh, when he told me, I know what's in your heart because I have the gift of discernment, I thought to myself, well, tell me what I'm thinking about you right now. <laughs> the point that Paul is making is there's a variety of gifts, but they all come from the same source. We don't want to... Uh, you know, some people use makeup gifts that, that are contrary to Scripture. We want to be careful about that. But the gifts that we have, specifically the gifts that are mentioned, we want to understand that the source is God. Source is not ourself. It's not something that I developed myself. That I, uh, it's because of my talent or something like that. It's what God has given me. There are varieties of ministries, he goes on to say. That is, there's multiple ways in which to serve. We don't all serve in the same way. Two people may have the gift of teaching, but they do it in different ways. They do it in different contexts. They do it differently. My teaching takes place mostly in church work, in, in preaching and in teaching in church or training pastors in other places. Somebody else's teaching may be more in a classroom setting, may be totally different. It may be one-on-one. It may be in a small group. They have the same gift. So God uses us in different ways, and there's a variety of ways that God chooses to use us in Christ's plan. Because there are different gifts and different mixtures of gifts and different ways in which we use those gifts, it enables the church to reach a wide variety of people. It may be shocking to you to hear this, but here's a confession. Not everybody in the state of Washington appreciates me. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Not everybody that comes to my church says, I really like this guy. Some people come to my church and go, why would anybody come to this church? And I get that. I understand that. And I can't reach everybody in my town. And Andy can't reach everybody in this town. But because God uses us all differently, we can all reach people that we wouldn't otherwise reach. Uh, I, I learned this as a, many years ago as a youth pastor, and I was, having a, I was having some conflict with another fellow youth pastor. I was running a camp, and, and this guy brought some kids, and we just, we just kind of butted heads. And... And a little later, I, he and I got sit down to talk about it and how we could work things out. And I realized the kids in his youth department were kids I would never be able to reach. And the kids in my youth department were kids that he would never be able to reach. Just because of our different personalities, we attracted different kids. And it was a very great lesson for me to learn at that point in time that God uses different people to attract different people. Different gift mixes to attract different people. So... We, we want to understand the, the, how important that is, the variety of gifts, that all of us are different. We're not all the same. We don't always do things the same way. We do things differently. The purpose of the spiritual gifts there in verse 7, 
But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, look at this, for the common good. If you underline in your Bible, I'd recommend you underline that last line. Each of us are given this manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's for the good of the body. It's not for my good. It's for the good of the body. This really serves as a purpose statement for the entire discussion on spiritual gifts. It is for the common good. Each one of us, again, notice that, to each one is given, so there's no ungifted children, and it's all done for the common good. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit all intend us to use our gifts for the benefit of the entire body. You don't go to the hardware store and buy a hammer and then put it in a frame and hang it in a museum. That's not the purpose of a hammer. The purpose of a hammer is to drive nails. Or, if you're my wife, the purpose of a hammer is to bend nails. Our spiritual gifts are not intended to be hung on a wall in our own private museum, but they're intended to be used. The gifts are are given to us, but they are not given for us. They're given to us for others, for the benefit of the body. This means that when we choose not to use our spiritual gifts, it does not merely affect us, it affects everybody else. A guy doesn't go to medical school, spend six years in medical school to become a doctor so he can treat himself and nobody else. We don't study the Word of God sit in church and learn the Word of God so we can sit at home and become fat babies. We do it so we can minister to the rest of the people and we can spread the gospel to the rest of the world. It's like a selfish child who on his birthday gets a set of walkie-talkies. And then his brother says, here, let me take the other walkie-talkie and we'll talk on it. He said, no, these are mine. You can't have them. And he goes, well, let's play together. No, these are my walkie-talkies. Well, he's got a set of walkie-talkies. What good does it do if he doesn't share it with somebody else? That's what it's like when we choose not to use our gifts. We're like a a spoiled child who has a pair of walkie-talkies and won't share it with anybody. Every Christian has been given gifts by God. Those gifts are given according to God's sovereign choice for the common good of the entire church. When we use them, the church is healthy, people see Christ, the needs of the saints are met, God is glorified, and the gospel travels around. Second point, variety and distribution of gifts, starting in verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another the prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now, it's not my intent, nor do we have the time to go through the details of each one of those gifts and what they mean and how they're used. The point that Paul is trying to make here is not to give us a deep description of each of these gifts, but to say, listen, there are all these kind of different types of gifts. There are serving gifts and speaking gifts and different types of gifts that are used 
in the church. Just to give you an idea, I don't want to go into, like I said, a lot of detail. Words of wisdom is the process of receiving and communicating divine revelation. That was crucial, obviously, to prophets at the time. And uh, those who, when God was revealing the scripture to uh, those uh, apostles and prophets. Uh, Words of knowledge is related to words of wisdom. Words of knowledge, this be applied knowledge that would be taking the wisdom and using it effectively. Faith was this, this gift of faith was this special assurance that God, uh, God's, in, in assurance in God's word and in God's actions. Uh, it, some men just had that amazing faith, that walking on water type of faith. Gifts of healing was the unique ability to heal every type of illness and disease that existed. None were excluded. Nobody possesses that gift today. God does heal people. Let me make that clear. But nobody has the gift of healings. And if they did, shame on them. Why are we still in a pandemic? So, Benny Hinn, where are you? There should be no people in hospitals in all of Atlanta if this is somebody has this actual gift. The affecting of miracles was the ability, the supernatural ability to temporarily suspend natural law. Uh, the, all miracles suspend natural law in some way, and nobody possesses that today. The gift of prophecy and the way it's used in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is the proclamation of the gospel. It's not foretelling the future, it's forthtelling the truth. So it's uh, the proclamation. The distinguishing of spirits is not the ability to read somebody's mind. It's determining good from evil. Determining good from evil. That which is good, that which comes from Christ, that which is coming from the devil. Various kinds of tongues was the ability to speak known languages at the time without having learned them for the purpose of propagating the gospel quickly throughout Asia Minor. The interpretation of tongues was the ability to understand and interpret languages uh, that one had not previously studied again for the preaching of the gospel. Some of these gifts were in the early years of the church and they don't exist anymore. I'll let Andy wrestle with that one after I leave. And, and aid in the rapid growth of the church. Others are still being used today. But look now at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Again, he's going back to... The gifts that you have, he just rattled off some gifts. He didn't explain them all. He just rattled them off and says that the Spirit is the one who works in these things. He distributes to each one just as he desires. So whatever gifts you have are the, are the, are the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's his choice. And by the way, he never makes mistakes. So if you look and say, I don't like the gifts that I have, I want... I want a different gift than I have. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that gave you the gifts that you have, and He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make errors. He didn't give you a gift and go, oh man, I didn't mean that for you. You were sitting so close to that other guy, I just gave you the wrong gift. Sorry about that. We each have a unique gift mix, as we mentioned, and God intends us to use them according to His will. Let's move on to number three, the unity and diversity of spiritual gifts, starting in verse 12. For even as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Speaking of the unity of the body, we're, we're a unit. We have many parts, but we are one body. 
The human body is made up of a number of different uh, systems. Uh, we have a nervous system, a circulatory system, a muscular system, a skeletal system, a digestive system, a respiratory system, and many other things that have a different function <clears throat> that all fit together and form a body. <clears throat> Excuse me, my circulatory or my respiratory system is not working correctly. If one of those systems fail, it could kill us or cripple us. And just as the human body has many different parts, so does a church. We all have a different role to play. And together we form a functioning spiritual body, a true church. Paul's point is that every part of the body is important. So also is Christ. He says this is identifying the church with Christ. That we are the body of Christ. We represent Christ. We are the hands and feet, if you will, of Christ on this earth. Verse 13 for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we are all been made to drink one spiritual drink. Again, the spirit is the one who places us in the body as he chooses. This has been reiterated a few times now. From unity, Paul addresses the diversity of the body in verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Have you seen any, one of those post-apocalyptic shows where everybody's dressed in the same outfit and Everybody looks the same, and, and there's this conformity. And then some, the hero or the heroine of the movie breaks free of the, of the conformity, and, and they take off the gray outfit, and they put on a bright orange one or something, and, and they're not going to conform, and, and everybody follows. Hey, that's the hero. We are, Christianity is not this post-apocalyptic thing where we all are looking Dress the same, act the same, and think and do everything the same. Christianity is not a post-apocalyptic plot. Our similarities unite us. Our similarities are our belief and faith in Jesus Christ, our salvation. That unites us. But it is our diversity that helps us accomplish all that God wants us to accomplish. And we need each other in order to accomplish those things. However, diversity has also led some in the church to be envious. I'm not like that person. It's led others to be arrogant. They're not like me. Well, there's no room for that. Verse 15. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. There's no room for envy, no room for saying, well, I'm not, I'm not important. I'm not, I'm not a hand. I'm just a foot. And people keep me in the dark. Stinks being a foot. I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. Nobody, hands are for greeting, being hi. Nobody, we, nobody says, hey, give me a high foot. We don't shake feet, shake hands. How do you like that? Oh, that's great. Nobody goes, hey, two toes up. It's, 
I want to be a hand. Or I'm just an ear. I'm not an eye. Just hang here on the side of my on the head. Nobody pays attention. The only way the only way we get attention in the ears is you've got to punch a hole in it and hang something from it. The eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul. Nobody says, let me look longingly into your ear. <laughs> we don't say the ears have it. We say the eyes have it. No. I'm not important. There's no room for envy. Despite the discontentment of some parts of the body, it doesn't make them any less a part of the body. It only makes them a discontented part of the body. They're still part of the body. The diversity is necessary. Look at verse 7. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? We can't all be the same part. Imagine, you know, Sunday comes and Andy and I are standing out in the parking lot and the car drives up and opens the door and out comes a six-foot blue eye. I look at Andy and I go, what's that? And Andy says, it's an eye. I go, who? I don't understand. What is it? Why is it here? And Andy says, why are you whispering? It's an eye. I can't hear you. <laughs> well, what if it can read my lips? I, if we're all the same, then we, we accomplish nothing. So there's no room for being envious of one another. I wish I had their gifts. It's not fair. I'm, I'm not important because I'm just an ear or I'm a toe. If I were a hand or an eye, then, then I'd be something. Paul said that's not true. Moreover, we are who we are because of God's design. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. This is the will of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This is God's desire. Verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members in one body. That is the diversity that makes up the body. To be content... To have a different gift makes us a functional part of the body. And just as there's no room for envy, there's no room for arrogance either. We don't consider our gifts to be superior to everybody else's or to anyone else's. Just because I'm the voice in my church, I'm the face that people see, and I apologize for that right now, uh, just because I'm the one that people have to look at on a Sunday and get to hear doesn't mean that I'm the most important part of the body. And I don't want everybody else to exalt me. You know, if you've ever been to Europe in churches, you see the, this is a, the pulpit, and you know that. Uh, they're, many of them are really high, so they're really looking down on people. And everybody's looking up, oh my God. It was the, the idea of this separation to look up at the person. That's not God's design. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. We don't get to say, listen, you're not important. I'm the most important thing. You're just a toe. You're not, you're not necessary. There's no room for that. On the contrary, verse 22, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Hey, I'm a hand. Yeah, you can't do anything without the hand. Oh, want to bet? Try doing something without the liver. Try doing something without the heart. You can't, those areas that seem to be less honorable, we bestow more abundant honor. God did that in the design of the body. He took the most important parts of your body and surrounded them with a rib cage and then put muscle and flesh around them to protect them. It's the same thing in the body of Christ. Those parts that seem to be more or weaker are necessary. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow a more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. He's really talking about, hey, we cover up private parts of our body with clothing. We make it look presentable. We bestow more abundant honor. We spend time and effort to clothe ourselves. Verse 24, whereas the more presentable members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member that lacked, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. We're supposed to be careful with one another and recognize that though there are, there are parts that are seen and active, they are important to the body, but so are the parts that aren't seen as much. They're just as important. In fact, God bestows more abundant honor on them. I have a, a lady in our church. She's 90 or 90-something, and uh, her name is Alaire. And we have 18 missionaries that we support, and every one of them knows who Alaire is. In fact, they almost all mention her regularly because she sends them emails every month saying, how can I pray for you? And, and then they respond, and then she'll print them up and distribute them to our church. And if you walked into our church, you wouldn't necessarily know who Alaire is. And if you attended our, um, attended our church, you might not know who Alaire is. If you came to a food function and you had one of the cinnamon rolls she makes, you would learn who Alaire was very quickly because you want to know who made this. But the point is she is in the background, but vitally important to the ministry of our church. Verse 26. If one of the members suffer, all the members suffer with it. And one of the members is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we're reminded again that we're the body of Christ, as he goes on in verse 27 and following. Now, You are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. And they ask some rhetorical questions. I'll expect a no answer here. All are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? No. 
All are not teachers, are they? No, all are not workers of miracles, are, are they? All do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? His point is not everybody has the same gift. Again, he's made this very clear. He spent an entire chapter telling us the importance of spiritual gifts. Everybody has them. They come from God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit according to his will. Each of us have these gifts. They are vital to the part of the church, to the function of the church. No one has a right to be envious. No one has a right to be arrogant. All of these things are important. And he closes out this section in verse 31, says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. As important as spiritual gifts are, he says, these are vital to the body. They are so important. They're just like every other, like a human body. We are all vital to the, mem- to the body of Christ. Each of us plays an important role. No one is superfluous. These are all significant. But... With that in mind, I want to show you a more excellent way. And remember, Paul did not write this in chapters and verses. The problem with chapter divisions is we see them as stop signs. There's no stop sign here. Chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Paul's about to give us three hypothetical situations to show us the superiority of love. Having just given this whole dissertation on the importance of spiritual gifts, he is now telling us more important than that in the body is how you love one another. He's not saying don't use your gifts. He's just made it clear we need to use them. But more important than that, is how we love one another. The first hypothetical scenario there in verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He uses the, the plural there for tongues, and he's speaking of languages, multiple languages. If I speak with the languages that people speak. Now, in the time of Christ, it is almost certain that Paul knew Hebrew, knew Greek, and knew Aramaic. It's almost certain that he knew at least three languages. And you know, if somebody knows three languages, we say they are multilingual, right? And what do we call somebody that knows two languages? They are bilingual. And if they know one language, they are American. (laughs) Most countries know multiple languages. If you go to Europe or you go to Africa, people know multiple languages, I have, uh, I preach in a Burmese church uh, in my town regularly on, a, on Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings. I'm, I'm there multiple times during the year. And I will preach, and, the, and a man will translate for me. Uh, either Ezra will translate for me, or Lai will translate for me. And he, they will translate it into Burmese and into Chin, because within the Burmese people, there's those who only speak the Chin dialect, and then there are those who speak both and those who speak Burmese. So he will translate into two, So, which means he knows at least three languages. Ezra, I know, knows six languages. And I've traveled to Myanmar with him and learned that he knows six different languages, which is pretty impressive because I know English somewhat, 
and I can get through Taco Bell. So I'll have the taco, the burrito, and the quesadilla. So. <clears throat> Paul, though, is using extreme scenarios. So Paul is not saying, if I know three or four languages... Paul is saying here, if I know all the languages that human beings speak, if I know every language that man speaks, it is estimated that there are over 7,000 languages in the world. Even if only 10% of those languages existed in Paul's day, and that's a huge if, that would be over 700 languages. Paul is saying, if I know every language that men speak, which would be pretty impressive. And Paul wants to make that even more impressive. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, let's assume for a minute there is a heavenly language. And by the way, that's a pretty big assumption because we never anywhere in Scripture see any angel speaking anything other than a human language. So Paul is saying, if I speak with every language that men speak, and even if there's a heavenly language, and I speak that and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I don't love, then my ability to speak every language in the world is irrelevant. As impressive as as that would be, If it's not done with love, it's meaningless. More important, more valuable than the ability to to spread the gospel by being able to speak hundreds or even thousands of languages, more important than that is to love one another. The second hypothetical situation there in verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge... And of all faith, so that I can remove mountains and do not have love, I'm nothing. Paul's using another extreme. He says, if I know all mysteries, a mystery by definition in the New Testament is something that God has yet to reveal to mankind. So Paul is saying here, if I know everything God knows, if I understand everything that that can be known, even all the things that haven't been revealed yet, If I have all knowledge, that's complete knowledge. Paul is in essence saying, if I am omniscient, if I know everything that can be known, if I understand the complex, if I understand uh, algebra, (laughs) which is to me complex, if uh, I understand everything, if I understand all the mysteries like the the success of Steven Seagal, if I know all the mysteries and why anybody listens to Willie Nelson, if I understand everything that could possibly be known, but I don't have love, look at what he says. I am nothing. I'm nothing. If I have the faith to remove mountains... If I can tell the Adirondacks to move to Florida, and they did it, I don't have love. I'm nothing. The third hypothetical scenario, verse 3. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. 
If I give everything away that I ever receive, and I hold nothing, I own nothing because everything that comes through my hand, I give it away to feed hungry people. Be very noble. Be a very sacrificial gesture. If I give my body to be burned, that is, I die to spare others. If I stepped in front of a bullet, I sacrificed everything, including my own life, but I didn't do it out of love. Paul said, it profits me nothing. The hypothetical situations speak of extreme gifts, extreme service, and extreme sacrifices. But all of them are ultimately meaningless if they're not done out of love. So after this discussion of spiritual gifts and telling us that the importance of every member in the body and and that the Holy Spirit has gifted each of us for the intent of edifying the body and building up the body and each one of us are important and all of our gifts are for the common good and, and he puts all of this in the proper perspective that it must be done out of love. Because despite how gifted we are, despite what we're able to do, if we had the extreme giftedness, if we were extremely sacrificial, if we had extreme wisdom, but we don't do it out of love, it's worthless. It's nothing. It's noise. How important then is love? I think preaching the word is awfully important. We're told throughout the scripture, throughout the New Testament, to do that. This proclamation of the gospel is important. But if I don't do it out of love, it's just noise. Serving in this church is important. It's vital. It's crucial to the function of this church. It's crucial to the success of the ministry in West Sand Lake and around the world. But Jesus Christ would rather you do nothing and love one another than do everything but don't do it in love. How important is love? By this all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. When we love and we do, we serve out of love for God and love for one another, love for this world, for the people of this world. It is our greatest evangelistic effort. Love enhances the gifts that we've been given and gives them value. Apart from love, our gifts have no value. To aspire to walk in love is far better than aspirations to possess a specific spiritual gift. In other words, to love one another is more important than to write great books, to have great achievements. To to love one another is more important than speaking to thousands of people. God is more pleased with how we love one another than with how many people know our name. It's better to love one another and serve behind the scenes than to be a great church leader. It's better to love one another than to write stirring hymns that rival amazing grace. 
It's better to love one another than to be the author of a theology book that becomes a bestseller on the Christian lists. After all the discussions of the importance of spiritual gifts, Paul says the more excellent way, notice that, the more excellent way, the better way, love. Love one another. Before you could come to Christ in repentance, He came to you in love. He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place. The most important thing that you and I can do in our service to God is to love one another. There's nothing more important. To love God and to love one another. It has to start there. That's the foundation of our Christian service. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us when we were still sinners. And Father, we see the exaltation in your word of what it means to love one another and we recognize it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge, Father, because we we seek to do it in our own flesh and we we recognize that it's it's hard to do that. Impossible really to do it in our own flesh. And Father, we are dependent upon your spirit. And we're dependent upon you to work in our life and to conform us to the image of Christ and to change our attitudes and to change our actions to be ones that love you and love one another first and foremost. Father, help us to recognize that this is crucial to who we are in Christ. Father, may you glorify yourself. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.